Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. Hi, everybody. Jungle Jim coming at you with another installment of Inside Curling. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, we'd like to acknowledge all our sponsors who are associated with our show, uh, Sports Interaction, Coyote Tractor, Goldline, Nestle Boost, and Meridian. What's on this show today? Uh, we're going to listen to an interview done uh, by Kevin with Carrie Anderson and Shannon Burchard. Uh, and Kevin and Warren will give us some thoughts on that. It's always interesting stuff. Then we're going to listen to another interview uh, with the loquacious uh, ben he how's that for a word kev okay uh nice, <laughs> nice Jimmy. uh ben hebert yeah when you say loquacious if you don't know what it means but if you call ben hebert you're right it means very talkative uh and kevin cooey who is the absolute opposite it's hard to believe they're on the same team uh but kev you uh, did an interview with them and we're going to get your comments on both of that so let's have a listen to the interview kevin you did with einerson and bertrand Okay, well, thank you very much, you guys, for taking the time today. I know you've got uh, the makeup and all the photography and all the things that are going on today. So thanks for taking the time. And I want to start with Shannon. Family legacy, how you got into curling. Um, understand that your grandpa, Peter, was one of the founders and owners of the Ontario Curling Report. Yes. And also started a company called Pro Glove. And that actually introduced white deerskin, which is still used today in the sport of curling. Can you expand on that story about your, your grandfather? I don't really know how he, you know, thought of it all initially, but I knew he was very close friends with Alfie and Ed Wernick and all of those guys from Ontario. And so I think just that closeness to the game gave an, him an insight as to where there were openings for, you know, new equipment needs and whatnot. So even though he didn't play at their level, he uh, was in tight with their group. And that inspired my dad to curl as well. And we did as well. Yeah, when it comes to the, uh, the Ontario Curling Report, the partners, I think, were L. Phillips, Bob Weeks, and Ken Thompson, I think, were the original uh, yeah. group. So that's really, to walk back in time, like for me as a curling nut, that's pretty cool to see a family tree, uh, somebody who revolutionized the game, really, and then now now to you who's uh, won so much. Yeah, it's pretty special. And um, my grandpa's going to be coming down to watch a few games this weekend, and my parents flew over to visit as well. So it's nice to get all back together. We haven't seen him in person for a while because of COVID. So um, yeah, I'm very excited to see him and, and very happy that I was introduced to the sport and, and he uh, had such an influence on the sport as well. And Warren wanted me to make sure that everybody knew uh, that Warren Hansen, of course, uh, was one of the sales reps in the pro glove group. 
And he didn't, he wouldn't tell me the year. So, <laughs> so I'm not exactly sure what year it was, but it was probably a, a while ago. Shannon, I'd like to hear your thoughts uh, as one of the top sweepers in the game. I get a million messages to do with carving, sweeping on which side, all of that kind of thing. And I, I would really like to hear about on the women's side in the women's game, the thoughts of carving, how good, how effective it is. First of all, does your team do it? Our team definitely attempts to do it. There is definitely significant difference between um, how effective women can be and men. And it's just a simple difference in body weight. The men can put a lot more pressure on the brush and pressure seems to be the more effective way to affect the ice because the, the broom heads themselves are not scratching the ice in the way they used to. For young people listening or watching, that's what I'm trying to get at here. So pressure more than speed? For carving. And I mean, that's kind of a general rule of thumb for sweeping in general. We found that pressure is more effective at dragging rocks and everything like that. So getting your weight above the uh, broom head Mm -hmm. rather than being back a bit so you can put more speed on it. Yeah. It's been discovered that there's no question about that. Yes. I didn't know that, actually. That's great. Fantastic. (laughs) That's great. I would like to get into the new rules. Not new. I shouldn't say new rules because they're not necessarily going to be new rules. But from a front end point of view, no tixel. Uh, Any time in the game at the World Championships. Like it, hate it, and benefits or not so much. I'm not a fan of any of the new rule changes, but I would say the no tick rule offends me the least. <laughs> so um, <laughs> I am more okay with that one, I would say. No tick zone. Uh, how do you feel about it out of 10? I would say a f- Five. Okay. So, eh, okay. Yeah. Four minute ends. Oh, I got it. Oh, so I'm going to tell you a story. So this is, this is going back to thinking time being in the slams and not being in the game. And you would be too young, I'm sure. The first game it was in Calgary and the building's really steep. It was at the Corral in Calgary, this event. And it was the first fem- the ladies draw, the female draw of the players championship where we used thinking time. Every single sheet ran out of time. Over time, though, it became quite easy. You guys are fast, so no problem with the, with the clocks at all. So now we went from like 73 minutes, whatever it was in the old-fashioned game, to thinking time per game, and now they're thinking, okay, time per end. We've, we've talked to a lot of people, and it's not been consistent. <laughs> some people like it. Some people really don't at all. Where are you at? I don't like it at all either. Um, it definitely rushes the game, and why does the game need to be rushed? I just think that on a skip slash shot, it's pretty crucial. Like, so I don't know. I just don't agree with it. I don't agree with it either. I don't think it makes the entire game faster. Because that is the hope, right? If that's what their goal is. And, I and the first couple of events, instead of being up. hitting all the time, they're, yeah. ho- they're hoping it maybe causes more offense early. Yeah. Do you think it will? I think it well, like it's going to take a good amount of time for people to get used to the flow of that time slot. But yeah, it's just, it's putting way too much pressure on the skips. It's like you're throwing with, you know, 20 seconds left every end when maybe that only happens in the last end. Um, if you're not good with time, it also puts a lot of pressure on our wonderful volunteers who are manning the, the timers, you know, that's, Something that I know players have frustrations about even now. And so now it's even more pressure on them. And we don't want to have those kinds of things going on in the game. And wow. we love our volunteers. What so a great point. Yeah. 
because you're right, the volunteers, there's massive pressure on them because you only got four minutes. And you'd hate to have in a big game on television, you're running out of time. But then, of course, in in the wonderful world, we can go back and watch when the button was clicked every time and you could find five or ten seconds. Wow, wouldn't that be something? The end of the game having four potential outcomes. Three points, two points for a draw the button win, one point for a draw the button loss, and then a straight loss at zero points. First, love it or hate it on the no extra ends, but then the repercussions of having not just a win and a loss, but four possible outcomes. That's an absolute ridiculous rule. (laughs) I do not like that one at all. And I don't agree with it because that draw the button determines your win-loss. Like that is terrible. Especially when you've played in worlds, well, two in a row lately. So, so So if you think back to your scoreboard, how could that have affected your end result? Is that where it's coming from? Like, Yeah, it could have affected us big time. <laughs> well, that's clear. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Shannon? Um, yeah, I agree, I agree with Carrie. You know, it, it takes away the advantage of being up two in the last end. You give up a deuce and all of a sudden you're drawing to the button. The team that just scored that deuce actually now probably has the advantage because they might have been drawing all end in in the last trying end. to get there too so yeah like the whole the whole um reasoning that the team with hammer and the extra end has too much of an advantage for winning that's a strategic play i don't think the team with hammer should be punished for you know playing to have that advantage in the extra end whereas they are kind of punished if they have to draw to the pin because the team that just scored most likely was drawing that end you're good at this <laughs> Well, that's awesome. Well, thank you very much, you guys, for taking the time. Really appreciate it, and good luck. Thank you. Thanks, Kevin. <laughs> you bet. So that was interesting, uh, Kevin, this relationship that Shannon has with her grandfather and pro-glove with the deerskin thing. Warren, what do you think? Well, that goes back in my perils of time and the fact that Peter Burchard was the man who came up with a company called Pro Glove. And interesting, Peter wasn't in that business. He was in the the newspaper business, but uh, he somehow made this connection and they came out with the first ever white deerskin gloves. Up until then, curling gloves were practically anything you could imagine. And I ended up representing Peter in Alberta with uh, Pro Glove for a couple of years and being his sales agent then. And and then interesting enough, uh, he made a deal with Midwestern Broom for them to carry Pro Glove. And by coincidence, I was also the agent for Midwestern Broom. So nothing changed there except I got to pay about 50 cents more per pair of gloves back in those days than I was before. But my, my association with uh, Shannon's grandfather goes back many years. Peter's a, a great guy. He was also involved with the Ontario Curling Report for a number of years and uh, one of the great uh, contributors to curling over time. From comments uh, in that interview, I found Shannon's comments very interesting about carving. And from a women's point of view, the pressure that they feel is necessary for it to be effective and that that pressure was more important than speed. And I, I think in the interview, Kevin, you made uh, an interesting comment uh, as well saying, hmm, I hadn't kind of heard that before. Is, is that correct? Yeah, that was news to me. As I love it when we get these great athletes on and you learn something brand new and that's terrific. So Kevin, what did you get out of that interview? Well, you know, one thing that I really appreciated was uh, 
Carrie and uh, and Shannon's honesty about the new rule changes. And what shocked me, I love the idea of a no-tick zone. In the women's final, Nadine Scotland made two absolutely perfect ticks, made them look easy. All the rocks were within a, a, just a short distance to the boards. And there's just nothing. There's no, there's nothing left for the other team. You, you, you're done. <laughs> it's over. And in the end, Laura Walker just has to lob a rock into the eight foot circle. So we need that no tick. And Carrie and Shannon, at best, were a five out of 10 on it. So not high on it. And really didn't like the other two rules, which is fine. The rule changes the, the four minute per end and the, uh, and the no extra ends. But the, the big one that I think is important in our sport is no tick zone. We have to have that. So it was interesting. Really good interview. Does anyone ever wear, I'll, uh, both of you, does anyone ever wear a glove with their throwing hand, Kev? Or is it just for sweeping, wearing gloves? Yeah, no, uh, well, sweeping or, or warmth. Uh, you know, curling clubs can be cold. I've seen a few people wear a glove to throw, but not usually at the highest level. You want to be able to feel. It's a feel game, so you want that, your, your bare skin of your hand, touching that handle to feel it. Right on. Like golf. If you go back to my day when the, the deerskin gloves that were used were a little thinner than the ones I think I see now, uh, people did throw with the glove on. It was uh, 50-50 probably. And I know that changed with time. But uh, those gloves were so tight that you could actually have a pretty good feel of, of the stone with the glove on. So it, it was done back then, but I, I do notice now that it pretty much is non-existent. I remember a picture of Warren Hansen, a young Warren Hansen throwing with a glove on like that in some picture. It might have been black and white. I'm not sure it was color. <laughs> but I do remember that picture. Well, it's, it's in a lot of magazines and stuff. Yeah, and I'll yeah. tell you why. I wasn't the only one that did that because of the sweeping issues in those days. Once you got your hand into the gloves, in some cases you had tape on your hands, you didn't want to disturb it. And uh, particularly after you started to sweat a bit, the sweat would come through the glove and to take that glove off and on became quite a challenge. So to a large degree, that's why many of us did actually learn to throw with the glove on. Warren, your, your first uh, curling was probably like when silent movies are around. They were probably silent <laughs> curling events. <laughs> and then the talkies came out, as I said. <laughs> uh, no, I don't go back to it, the days of Abe Gammonlock. Uh, <laughs> uh, one day I'll tell you, speaking of gloves, one day I'll tell you about the time I put on my glove golfing and there was a bumblebee inside when I sealed it up. Yikes. <laughs> Okay, another interview. You've been interviewing people a long time, so have I over the years. And you look up to the skies going, I don't need to say anything at all because Ben Hebert is coming on. Okay, he'll, he'll handle everything. You sat down with both Ben and Kevin Cooey. Take a listen to this. First, Benny, I need to know who's the best quarterback, you or uh, Bo Levi? <laughs> Definitely him. I actually went and threw with the Stamps this, this summer when he was hurt and their U.S. guys couldn't get across the border. So I went and threw for their Canadian receivers. They no needed way. A guy. Yeah, it was unreal. I couldn't, I couldn't shower, like wash my hair for like a day or two afterwards. But uh, yeah, I went and put on a little bit of laser show at the park. It was fun. So you got to practice with them? Well, I just with three of their Canadian receivers. I got invited back once. I declined because my arm was too sore and then they retired me. It was fun. So do you think it'd be fun for you guys to switch positions for, say, a week and have Bo Levi come on to... Team Cooey, and maybe you go and play for the, the Stamps for a week. I'll tell you why. Is that Jackie Parker, do you remember Spaghetti Legs Parker? No. Uh, with the uh, Edmonton Eskimos. He was a great quarterback, one of the best of all time, uh, and played second for Matt Baldwin for a couple of years back in the day. Really? Really. Well, I'm taking both this winter. We're going to go throw some rocks when we're available to, but I think he'd probably last a bit longer uh, throwing lead than I would playing quarterback in the CFL, that's for sure. <laughs> I'll tell you what, though, I would try. I would for sure try to do it, but I don't like my chances. 
before I get to Kevin, how are you enjoying your podcast? I love it. Yeah, it's super fun. You know, we've got to meet some, uh, some great athletes. I'll talk to some people I never thought I'd get to talk to, shoot the breeze and give opinions on sports. I love sports, all kinds of sports, not just curling. So it's been cool. It's been fun. Something to do during, uh, obviously, when we were shut down with COVID. But uh, a few more shows left, and then we're taking a break, obviously, for Olympic trials, his season. And then we'll see if we bring it back for season two. Well, I hope you do. It's yeah, fun. It's thanks. fun to listen to. John Dunn, what's his goal? I'd like to hear a little bit more because he's been with you, I don't even know, how long? I think it's around 14 years. So, you know... Uh, he's been great. Lots of ups and downs. He keeps us kind of on track. Um, you know, the, the four of us aren't always the best, especially after a loss. He just keeps us accountable, keeps us organized, make sure we're talking, um, which, you know, especially if you're having a bit of a rough week, it's, it's easy to not talk, right. especially with this guy. It's always easy when it's always easy when you're winning, boys. <laughs> and then when you're losing, things get broken. Ben. That's right. Yeah, I don't break stuff anymore. Just don't talk usually. Just kind of walk away. I'm like, <laughs> do my own thing. Uh, fifth player. I'd like, uh, there were some interesting things about that last Olympics. Uh, who is allowed to go? Who's not allowed to go? Do you have somebody in mind as a fifth? And has that person been involved so far? Yeah, actually, we have uh, Denny Newfeld as our fifth. Obviously, we all know him. We've played against him a lot. Um, I've actually played in an event with him uh, a couple of years ago. And, you know, he's just a great positive guy, and he's been involved. We had him at um, an event last weekend, and he'll be coming to the Chestermere Slam as well. And uh, a very successful curler. He's going to fit in great on our team, and he already has. I didn't realize it was Danny. That's a great choice. In my opinion, in my opinion, that's a great choice. You know, what I, was, I didn't know who it was going to be, and, and my next question was going to be, which, of course, I'm not going to bother asking because it was going to be, is the guy going to be credible? <laughs> yeah, I mean. <laughs> Can't ask yeah. that question about Danny Newcomb. It's good for BJ because, obviously, the three of us live in Calgary. We get to practice together all the time. You know, to have somebody in Winnipeg with BJ who he's familiar with throwing rocks all the time so that when he comes out to Calgary for our training camps, you know, he's ready to roll. So it's good to have uh, Danny there holding the broom for BJ and keep those two accountable as well. Okay, uh, let's talk about the new rules, the Cooey rule. Four minutes per end uh, <laughs> to start the first half of the game, and then four minutes, 15 seconds, second half. I don't know, whichever you, whichever of you want to take it. I just want to know your thoughts on the three rule changes, but let's take them one at a time. Uh, the four minutes per end, 4.15 for the second half of the game. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't don't think much of it. Uh, we've tried it at a couple events, and, you know, it's it's been a bit of a... Bit of a disaster, I guess you could say. Um, you know, I think it really takes away from the fans to a lot of what they enjoy is kind of hearing the team strategize and talking about, you know, how an end's gonna gonna play out in four minutes, not a lot of time. Um, so, I mean, we'll see what they do, but you know, I, I think the, the timing they have now is is better. Okay. Uh- Impact on front end players. You're never going to get to hear me talk anymore on the broadcast. That's no fun. How am I supposed to? How am I supposed to get my words in if uh, if we're in a rush all the time? Okay, my skip's waving me off. But uh, I mean, I'm with Kevin. I think it sucks. And on, on the big difficult ends where you get a million rocks in play, nice to go down and have a team chat. Nice to have Johnny and Beej in there and give our thoughts and and let Kevin hear our opinions. About, like we don't have that now. Those team chats are almost eliminated except for a timeout. We're on a regular timeout. You bring your coach. No one wants to hear my coach talk about curling. Doesn't know a damn thing about curling. So I think that sucks. And I think uh, you're going to get the blank ends that where you could bank some time to have some extra discussions later in the, in the game. Now they're just going to whistle through and there'll be two minutes. And I, I mean, I, I guess the, my, my, 
disappointment in is I don't understand the reasoning for the change. I know you joke it's the Kui rule or a little bit slow sometimes, but like I, I don't understand the reasoning for it. If there was a good reason for it, I'm all up to, to hear it, but uh, I, haven't, I haven't heard one of those yet. The no-tick rule, Benny, impacts you personally. Yeah. Because you've practiced, obviously, sure. uh, 10,000 rocks to, to get almost perfect at the tick game. Your thoughts on getting rid of the tick? Um, well, I think it changes a little bit of your strategy as a team of what you want the score to be coming home. And I think it puts a little bit more heat on uh, your second to make a double peel, you know, the long double peel and the long tight guards, rather than, you know, you know, as a lead, and I think all the leads will say it's in a little. It's exciting to be able to play two ticks in the last end coming home. You get a couple big shots that where you can impact the game, and you know we don't we don't get a lot of chances throughout a game or throw even a weekend to you know win or lose a game for your team. And so I don't feel those nerves that the skips feel all the time. It's awesome, gets you revved up, your juices flowing, and it shows that you've played a good game to control the hammer throughout that game with a chance to win in the last end. And with that being gone, unfortunate, but I, I do see the value in having a bunch of rocks and it not being so predictable in the last end for the fans and for the team being tied down coming home. It's the one rule I could at least uh, I could at least stomach. It is what it is, and we'll try it out. I mean, we've tried it before in slams, and it also puts some pressure on your lead to hit the center line because now if you don't hit the center line, you can still actually play the tick. So there's a little bit of strategy to it. Uh, it doesn't necessarily completely eliminate the tick, but both sides need to be pretty sharp. I want to hear from both on you this one with the no extra ends, but not just the no extra ends because it changes the game dramatically in one other way too. Instead of a win-loss, two choices, now there's going to be four choices, three, two, one, zero, depending if you win or lose the draw to the button. Three points for the outright win, two points if you win the draw to the button, one point, lose, draw, button, zero points, straight loss. So it's impacting... The, the final board dramatically. Kevin first. Your thoughts on, I guess, first of all, no extra ends in the game, uh, in the round robin portion, but then also four possible outcomes in the game instead of two. I'm not a big fan of it. You, you play the whole game to get hammer and the extra, really, and uh, to have it go, go away like that, just to have a, you know, a draw the button seems, seems a little silly, but, I mean, and hopefully it doesn't come in. I guess we'll see what it's like if it does. I mean, we, I don't think we've ever played it. And yeah, I'm it'll not sure change. it's ever existed before. Yeah, I don't think so. And I mean, it'll for sure change change the strategy and, you know, maybe play for that single point kind of thing. I, I don't know. I haven't really thought of it a lot yet. Um, Benny, is there any chance that the reason that they're trying that is because they brought in, they don't want tiebreakers at the World Championships and, and international events. So in order to maybe cut down that log jam where you might lose three or four or five teams kind of out of the blue? Those three or four or five teams deserve a chance. If they're all uh, eight and four and they're all tied records after a long week, they deserve a chance to play. I can figure out a lot of ways. I could tell them easily uh, how to fix a tiebreaker rather than doing a draw to the button. You know, we've pretty much tried to eliminate that here at the Slams. Any World Curling Tour event that we go to, there's always tiebreakers in place. You never get kicked out on a draw to the button. So certainly to go to your biggest events, your World Championships, uh, Olympic Games, wherever they're going to be tried, to have a draw to the button kick you out would be a real, real kick in the seeds. And I'd hate to see any team that happen to. And, you know, obviously you don't want it to happen to us. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't like the rule at all. Kev, um, when it comes to curling, what should be done? Because curling right now is growing as fast as any sport in the whole world, summer or winter right now, worldwide. But how do we move it from being semi-professional, if you want to call it that, to full-fledged professional sport? Oh, geez. It's a tough one. Yeah, thanks. I haven't asked many people that. It's like I've asked the, the, the more experienced cerebral fellows in the game it's, 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 and, and ladies as well. Obviously, the big thing that stands out to me when I think about amateur and professional sports is money. I mean, I'm not, I'm not quitting my day job for 
for 50 grand a year. I got kids and I got a wife and I got, I got things to pay. So, you know, if you're talking about an athlete making like what some of these pro sport athletes are making, <laughs> I'm all for it. As for how we get there, I think that's a, I think we're still a little bit, well, I think we're a long ways away from that still where we're, we're packing 15,000 seat stadiums again, like back in the day and, and where TV money's coming in, in the millions and millions of dollars and, and, and that kind of revenue. And as much as uh, I like to think that we're maybe there in, in some parts, in some ways, I still think we have a big stretch to go. And, and it's not just money. I think, I mean, commitments, training, you know, location of the players, where they're going to be, national training centers, you know, we need all that. And, and I do think when, when we look at our landscape of Canadian curling, they're definitely going a more professional route in a couple other countries. You know, we don't want to kill our sport here in Canada where we have six or seven really good men's teams and four or five really good women's teams that could compete on the international stage just to compete with one country or two countries that do a professional model already. A little bit tricky here. I don't know the answer, but uh, I'd like to hear your opinion on it. Can I ask I'm you the, that? I'm the I'm the person I'm, I'm the person asking the questions yeah, here. I, I, like, I, don't, I don't know the answer. The, the long the the short answer is I, I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, I've as you know I definitely have some thoughts on that. But we'll bring that up another time because <laughs> that's not uh, what I'm supposed to do here today. Because of your shoulders, I know it's like to get a little sore. Getting and big, uh, big. yeah. <laughs> Uh, I would like to talk about curling and mixed doubles and the amount we play now, the length of season, and, of course, with that, the length that a person can expect to be able to play this sport going into the future because right now teams that play four-person curling and, of course, mixed doubles, the gold medal when you bite, it's the same. But for a person to be able to compete, say, 13 weeks on the men's or women's tour and then another six to seven weeks on the mixed doubles. Same player, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. And injuries. I'd like to hear your thoughts, Benny. Like, well, I know I'm not doing that. I mean, I think if... Uh, well, young players. Young players trying to come up, but... but still a lot. I mean, <clears throat> I mean, think now, though, they've turned... Uh, I think they've seen the uh, effects of, you know, when they used to count every single event you played were all your points. And then they dialed it back to eight. And now I think they're only letting you count a certain amount of points up to a certain date because it's not all about volume, right? It's about, you know, performing at every event you play, more of a consistent model, and they're going to that. And I think you're going to see that. I think uh, certainly this next quad, obviously... I mean, here's the thing, dude, who makes up the points? <laughs> I don't even know. Like I'm, I've been curling for 18 years on the tour, and I don't know who makes the points, who decides the points, where the points are going. Like, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. So I think those people are going to have to sit down with, you know, World Curling Federation, Curling Canada, whoever all these associations are, figure out a plan for where maybe, maybe two events a month count. And you don't have to play three every single event. You don't have to play 15 events a year. Like Gushu was a couple of years ago when he was Team Canada. You know, no different than when we were Team Canada in 19. We went from first in the world to 10th because we didn't play because we didn't have to play. We were in everything. But then everyone passes you on points. Same thing as Gushu. At the start of the 2019 season, he was the 10th or 11th ranked team in the world. And I'm like, I don't want to play him. You know, he's an 11th ranked team. So they're going to have to find a way to figure that out and get a better balance of you know, maybe making the top teams only have to count six events rather than 10, 11, 12 to continue with the young teams coming up because those aren't your best teams. Those are your youngest teams that are maybe playing the most, and there's a big difference. They're healthy still. <laughs> They're playing more. Guys, thank you very much. I really appreciate you coming in, saying a few words. Love it, and good luck. All right, be nice in the booth. That's Steph. <laughs> I didn't realize I was hurting your feelings, Ben.
Uh, so, Kev, you know Ben Hebert. Uh, what, when you listen to that, they don't like the timing thing. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, what jumps out to you, Kevin, from that interview? Uh, well, without question, I just can't believe that Benny didn't say that he should be playing for the Calgary Stampeders and <laughs> <Right>. Bo Levi <laughs> should be doing the curling. Like, right. uh, you know, that was fun to talk to him about. Not Is he just- the real deal, Kevin? Sorry to interrupt. As a, as a quarterback, can he really huck it or what? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Benny's got a gun. There's no question okay. about that. He has a legit arm for football and for ball, like baseball. God-given arm for sure. It's a, yeah, he has a bullet. But Benny's not built to be real agile. <laughs> he, he could be in trouble in the pocket. But anyway, uh, <laughs> but I really I like, you, I like when he said I showed up and threw lasers. I threw lasers. Yeah. A laser show. <laughs> yeah, a laser show. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, oh, I love that kind of stuff. And then, of course, uh, talking about to, to Benny, this is something that Ben and I would have had a, a, a Rye and Seven over many times when we played together for all those years. And that's the sport going from amateur or semi-pro that it is today mm-hmm. to straight professional and how are we going to do it. And, and Ben's right, it's not there yet. Structure, structure of our sport needs to change before it can possibly happen because right now it's just too blurry the top players and the medium players and the and the intermediate, if you want to call that. So uh, that's part of the sport that we need to work on, I think, right now. And I think Ben sees it pretty clear. It's just how do we get it done? But great interview. And, and of course, most of the talking was done by Ben Hebert. <laughs> and, right. and and Kevin, not as much. Uh, Warren, you've, you've always said that these players got to get at the same table with all the organizations in Curling Canada. Uh, they've got opinions. Uh, what, what did you think about those opinions I heard in the interview? Well, without question, they certainly don't like the no extra end idea. And, and I guess in a lot of these interviews, and we've said it before, I know that the players want things to kind of be the way they are. They, they like the length of time. They feel that it's entertaining for the, for the fans. And, and we as Canadians have to sometimes, I think, look outside of the box and the fact that we're trying to appeal to the world. And if we're trying to bring in new people and, and, and new interests in the sport from around the world, uh, with all sports, the three-hour-plus uh, television commitment is not going to be a thing of the future. So we've got to come up with ways of shortening everything. So I think, again, like you're suggesting, the discussion needs to happen with all parties that are associated with this sport involved. And the sooner that starts, the better. I think the other interesting thing was, particularly thing was Benny brought up, the issue of the point system. And the ranking, and uh, we've talked about this before, and uh, the world ranking system and the Canadian team ranking system are not totally on the same page. Benny's interesting point was, who does all this? And I, and I guess that's the question that I'm not sure either, and I don't know if Kevin is. But again, this is something that needs to be worked out. The ranking systems have to become standard. I'm not sure if the Canadian team ranking system at this point should pertain to anybody except lower-ranked teams in Canada that the top teams, it should all be gauged through probably a world system. It becomes very confusing otherwise. But I think they realize that there's a need for a lot of work to be done in that area. Think we'll ever get it right, Warren? Points and rankings? and Well, the big thing is that we have to appreciate with all sport and with life, we're going through evolution. Mm-hmm. And, you know, today we look at a car and now we're moving into electric vehicles, et cetera, et cetera. We don't look at the Model T as being a vehicle that we all want to drive. And because things have changed. And we remember a lot of this stuff with curling goes back to 1927. And I can sit here and rhyme off things that were done in 1927 that aren't being much done much differently now. And uh, we just have to keep looking forward. And uh, 
the past is important, and some of those things are important, but we can't be dragging 100% of it with us going into the future. I talked to Terry Jones yesterday, who uh, everybody knows, prolific sports writer, and he's saying, don't mess with the game. Don't mess with the game anymore, Hanson. Just leave it. Ten ends, okay? Yeah, yeah. see, <laughs> of course, Jonesy, good friend, buddy, but he's again from the old school, right. and, uh, and the old school is going to fight for ten ends forever. Because that's what they're comfortable with. But I can remember back in, in the day when the same fight was going on with regard to 12 ends. And the struggle that took to finally get the game from 12 to 10 at the Canadian Championship level. Mm-hmm. Even after it was at the 10 end mark with the world level, Canada was still playing 12 ends. So things have to evolve. Kev, let's go for 13 ends and watch Warren implode at our next show. <laughs> uh. <laughs> well, the first Briar, I think, was 14 ends. Oh, come on. Really? Yes. The curling game through through time was at one stage, and I'm trying to remember how long. It was like 18 ends long. Oh, my God. Yeah, I couldn't do it. No, I, I can't. Yeah, my attention span. Not it's not a, My attention span is not 18 ends, Kev. I'll tell you that. Uh, again, <laughs> no, big, big. we all know that, Jimmy, that you're, you, you could not do that. We understand. My, my attention span is hardly one per segment for show. I got I to gotta regroup. Uh, big thank you to all our sponsors. We really do appreciate them. Sports Interaction, Coyote Tractor. Goldline, Nestle Boost, and Meridian uh, for bringing us this special edition today of Inside Curling. Uh, you can send us an email, insidecurling at gmail.com. Thank you for all of those. And uh, thanks to Rod Paulson from uh, In-House Strategies for handling our Facebook group and, and all our stuff on Facebook. So once again, insidecurling at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Boys, take it easy, and we'll talk to you again soon. This has been Inside Curling. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Jimmy.